Capital Theatres, in association with the Traverse Theatre, presents When the Sun Meets the Sky by Robbie Gordon and Jack Nurse. Episode 3 This next chapter is a good one. It's the winter of 89. It's Baltic. So I hope you've got another cuppa, or maybe even something stronger, if you're that way inclined. I don't want to say too much, but it's this chapter of Maggie's story where the mystery that has haunted her life twists and turns like never before. Who is that man? Oh, we're so close to the answer, I can almost feel it. Can you? The man with the blonde hair, open mouth stare, and eyes dark like a shark. But you know that by now. You might even recognise him if you saw him. Let me know if you see him, eh? But just as Maggie the Miracle reaches out to touch the truth, it veers away from her suddenly, and the mystery deepens. Right, I won't rabbit on too much more. This isn't about me. Here we go. Maggie's driving through the grass market, clutching the steering wheel of her Ford Escort. The cobbled streets and the cold making her teeth chitter-chatter as she drives over them. She's like a cartoon or something. Maggie's late, but she's not a speeder. She's not much of an adventurer these days. Not anymore. Not like when she chased a boy around the park or when she slept on the street to see her favourite band. That was years ago now. She wonders where she got this sense of adventure from. It certainly wasn't her mum. Maybe it was her dad, who fought and died in the war and travelled to countries Maggie would never dream of going to these days. She drives down Kingstables Road as the radio plays. It's Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank. Maggie switches the radio off. She hated that song last year when it first came out and she hates it even more this time around. It's not even a Christmas song. She clicks the cassette player on instead. Her daughter Rosie's Bross album plays. When will I, will I be famous? Well, you're famous now, boys, but it will not last for long. Maggie smiles as she parks up behind the usher hall. Rosie's an only child just like she was, and that's not where the similarities end. Rosie went to see Bross at the Playhouse last June. She was holed up in that stuffy theatre all afternoon with 3,000 other sweaty teenage girls. It makes Maggie think of when she went to see the Beatles, just round the corner from where she's parked right now. Rosie doesn't believe her when she tells this story that her mum had even managed to get up on the stage and ended up in the evening news. Maggie always leaves out the bit where Rosie's granny tossed the paper on the fire. Maggie chuckles. She never quite understood her mum's reaction at the time. 
and so she had a shock last year when Rosie slammed the bros tickets on the kitchen table the morning of the concert to announce she was going whether her mum liked it or not. Without thinking, Maggie had felt resistant to the plan before she clocked where that feeling was coming from. Genetics. Her initial frown turned into a smile and she stroked Rosie's blonde locks and said... Have a bloody great time. That's what it's all about, Maggie thinks. Tiny changes. She sits in the car, heat blasting, with the speakers turned up to full. It makes her feel like she's somewhere else entirely, drowning the city out, like she's in the Australian outback. She's never been... But her and her pal Nancy always used to talk about going someday. No people, no traffic, no buildings, nothing. Just a wee bit of peace and quiet. She imagines herself there because she can't find the motivation to leave the car. She would never say she doesn't enjoy going to see her mum. But sometimes it can be a bit of a chore. Her mum's in a wee home now. But every December, they take a trip to Princess Street to see the Christmas tree on the mound. Town is not as busy as it used to be at this time of year. It's not the same. But work is hard to come by these days. There's less money to spend. And most folk are struggling to just keep a roof over their head. This is another hard winter. Tough one. But she's got her mum and she's got her Rosie. And that's something, something important. She turns the engine off and braces herself. Can't hide in the car forever. The way of the world is making her feel not too Christmassy this year. But when she reaches Princess Street, it's like magic. The lights, the excited wee ones and the happy faces, it makes her forget about everything else. Maggie feels like a wee lassie again and there's a spring in her step. She feels just like that girl who climbed lampposts and roamed the streets carefree. She looks up at Ben's clock and sees all the singles watching the clock hand move round, waiting for their dates just like she used to do, standing in the cold, waiting for Rosie's lout of a da. She walks down Princess Street, passing all the busy shops and parents in a panic, trying to find the ideal gift that they should have bought weeks ago, like we squirrels desperately trying to gather nuts for hibernation. It looks like a winter wonderland, like that Bing Crosby number. Shoppers and families are bustling around, eating sweets, catching up with friendly faces and huddling around the Sally Army and their brass instruments, whose rendition of Away in a Manger rings through the crisp December air. Edinburgh Castle towers over the scene, with a sheet of snow covering the battlements like icing on a buttercream cake or something. 
the bright lights outside Jenner's shine in the distance and Maggie sees a little boy and his sister pointing out to their parents which presents they'd like this Christmas through the window. Just like how she used to take Rosie here when she was wee to meet Santa and pick a toy. Every year Maggie told Rosie she couldn't afford the present she wanted but to her delight. Santa always delivered it in the end. Some boy, that Santa. Maggie arrives at the big glistening tree on the mound with all the beautiful multicoloured lights. It's come all the way from Norway every year because apparently in World War II the Scots helped the Norwegians or something. Maggie always likes to think her dad maybe played a part in that story. And who knows? Maggie spots her mum almost instantly, shining in the lights of the tree. Even though she's sitting in a sea of people sleeping in her chair with a tartan blanket over her lap, Maggie would recognise her anywhere. She's her mum after all. And she's the only person Maggie knows who has the ability to sleep with a face like thunder surrounded by half of Edinburgh. She was never one for making a fuss over this kind of thing, even when Maggie was wee. Maggie sees Clark, who looks after her mum in the care home. Clark's from Elephant and Castle in London. That is a place name, by the way, not a zoo or a theme park. (laughs) Maggie likes spending time with Clark, which makes meetings like this just a wee bit easier. Maggie! Hi, Clark. How's she getting on? Crabbit as always? Quite the opposite, actually. She's knackered herself out because of all the fun she had yesterday. Fun? Oh, loads of fun. She's been up and about all day. Dancing and singing and all sorts. Dancing and singing? Are you sure you're talking about my mum? Yeah. And she was asking everyone where their trousers were. And everyone kept having me on and wouldn't tell me what they were. Maggie laughs. Trousers (laughs) sounded so ill-fitting in Clark's accent. She senses an opportunity. It's actually... It's just a Funny wee Scottish word for a hat. Well, I can confidently say that I don't really wear trousers. They don't look good on my head. And I definitely wouldn't wear trousers when I'm working. I wouldn't go broadcasting that. Hi, Mum. You're awake. How are you getting on? I've just come down from the Isle of Skye. I'm not very big and I'm awful shy. And the lassies shout when I go by, Donald, where's your trousers? That's the very one. She was singing it loud and shuggling away to it. You used to hate that song back in the 60s, Mum. Guess it's having a bit of a comeback. I was singing and dancing. Were you? Aye. And drunk. Drunk? I think the drink helped the singing and the dancing, if I'm honest. What? She's been drinking? She's not supposed to be taking a drink. Well, she never, and that's the genius of it. We dipped a little tea bag in some warm water and told her it's her favourite whiskey. <laughs> that's brilliant! Just another day in the office. It wasn't you. 
Well, who was it then? My visitor. Visitor? That sounds harsher than Maggie means it. No offence, but who else would visit her mum? She was never much of a social butterfly apart from going to the church. And Maggie hasn't heard of any other visitors before. Uh, no, he he wasn't a visitor as such. He was an, um, a, an entertainer. We have visit awards sometimes. Right. That wasn't on this week's timetable. It was a, 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 a late booking, sorry. I should have mentioned it. Oh, I thought you just came to see me. Ah... Uh, if only we could afford all the residents to have their own personal entertainer. We've talked about this. She's obviously forgotten. I haven't. The more Maggie thinks about it, Clark seems to be acting stranger and stranger. Like he's holding something back. He's grasping onto the back of the wheelchair. Eyes looking everywhere but Maggie. I always thought he was dangerous, Maggie. Dangerous? But he's just a wee boy, climbing up a lamppost in the meadows. The hair on the back of Maggie's neck stands up. In her mind's eye, she sees fragments of a face. A ghost. What does he look like? Um, a, a small guy. Tall guy. You'll need to give me more than that. Older. Than what? You... It was just a guy. Blonde hair, I think. Dark. Dark brown eyes. The penny drops instantly. Dark like a shark. The man. I can't remember, all right? What was his name? Let the wind blow high, let the wind blow low Through the streets and my kilt I'll go All the lassies say hello Donald, where's your trousers? Donald? Is that right, Mum? Donald? Mum? Who is Donald? Donald, where's your trousers? She doesn't know. Not anymore. And as snow starts to fall, Maggie takes the back of her mum's wheelchair away from Clark and she holds on tight, not wanting to let go. She remembers when her mum used to guard her like a hawk, but she's the hawk now. Do not let that man near my mum again. Maggie's mum warned her about the boy with the blonde hair, open mouth stare and eyes dark like a shark. But, Maggie thinks, now it's her responsibility to protect her family from the man. The man who has appeared at three points throughout her life. First as a wee boy, then as a young man, and now 25 years later. Who is he? Who is he? This question pulses through Maggie. She finally has a part of the answer. A name. Donald. Another piece of the puzzle. Small bits of the jigsaw in her hand. But they're melting like the snow. A boy at the meadows. A man stalking her that night at the Beatles concert. And now, visiting her mum? What is going on? 
What does he want? Who is Donald? When the Sun Meets the Sky was written by Robbie Gordon and Jack Nurse, with dramaturgy by Eleanor White. Composition, sound design and mixing was by Van Ives, with additional sound recording by Ruri Dunn, directed by Jack Nurse. With Tam Dean Byrne. Maggie was played by Rebecca Lumsden and Maureen Beatty. Maggie's mum was played by Irene Allen. And Clark was played by Mason Clark Whale, with thanks to the members of the Capitol Theatre's dementia-friendly community, whose life stories and expertise contributed to the making of When the Sun Meets the Sky. Accompanying sensory resource boxes are created by Dr Alex Howard and Dawn Irvin. To request a sensory box, see the details on Capitol Theatre's website. The play was funded by Creative Scotland and Doily Cart Charitable Trust. Capital Theatres is a registered Scottish charity number SC018605. The Traverse Theatre Scotland Limited is a registered Scottish charity number SC002368 and is supported by Creative Scotland and the City of Edinburgh Council.